So with Dungeon Drafters, you guys started working on it, what, like two years ago, a year ago, kind of, how long have you guys been on this game? A long time, actually. The Starter was two years ago, right? But we started working in the game four or five years ago. The start of 2018 was when we started thinking about the game and actually developing it more of late 2018. Some of people on Discord, on our Discord server, follow us from there it's like it's very cool so with that i mean in early 2018 i saw you guys working on two other games you were working on was it Wirebolts, and there was one other one where, where is it wild, wild glory yeah so with those yeah. two games were those like tester games just to try to like get your studio's name out there kind of what was the strategy behind those two titles yeah, I, was, I wasn't directly involved on those games, although I knew the devs at the time and I was friends with them. But the Wirebolt was actually a game jam game, so there wasn't like a market plan for it or anything. It's just a, a very fun and cute little game. But White Glory was, uh, I'm gonna say, a test demo for the studio if they can release a game and work together and it worked kinda well. So they decided to make Studio a little bigger and create a, a bigger game with bigger ambitions. There is also one game that you didn't mention that was from the studio that is Lamparina. The name yeah. Lamparina is kind of a lamp. I don't know in exactly what lamp in English I can say a word for. Mm. But uh, it's a, a small puzzle game that you can see a lot of drafters art inspiration from so were both these games i mean how much did they kind of impact the overall like trajectory of dungeon drafters like the design the publishing kind of how you guys like approach like the overall development how did all that work for you guys uh, i think the game with most impact was white glory because it proved that they could do a game uh, together and it was only three people back then it was demo Brissa, and leo uh, Demo was the coder, Brissa was the artist, and I was the musician. So it kind of impacted like the team and kind of how you guys approached just development overall, basically. As yeah, yeah. They, they, they decided the game that they wanted to make, and we were hired for that. Mm, okay. From you know 2018 to now, that game had to kind of grow and expand quite a bit, right? Like the overall vision had to kind of change a little bit, or did you guys kind of keep it in the exact same place it was and just build from there? No, the vision changed a lot. Actually, there was a prototype version that is very different from the game right now, and even an older version that is not available, available for public, that is very different too. The game suffered massive changes throughout the time, and even in development, when you are developing a card game, it's very hard not to change stuff, you know? Because you get so much mechanics and things you want to put in the game to, to, to create synergy, and expand what you can do with it. So the game is constantly changing while we develop. Recently is where we put a stop on that. We said, okay, no more new mechanics, no more new cards. We are finishing that. Yeah. Why a card-based game though? Like why a deck building game? What drove you guys in that direction? I'm gonna be completely honest. Mm -hmm. Demo was very angry with Hearthstone. <laughs> That's the truth. Gotcha. Okay. But Prisoy Demo wanted to do a very to the CG, mm. I'm gonna say something like that, because that was what they said to me. And they wanted to do a game that makes you feel like your collection of cards has a lot of value. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the combat, it's all turn-based, correct? 
yes. Okay. So with it, it being a turn-based deck building kind of game, and it has this pixelation style, are there certain limitations you have to take into account when you're developing a game that has kind of those three different elements to it? Kind of how does that work when you're strategizing and building this game? There's a ton of limitations. We have, I'd say, the document, like most games, right? And there's a page of design decisions. There's there are things there that is like you can do this technically, but you shouldn't because it will broke the game break completely and it won't work. So there's limitations about how we coded the game. There's limitations of, about how the the art is made. We can do all the stuff we want, sadly, but still. The team has a very flexible background and we try to make things work at least in a way that we want. Like there was a card on a very early of the game, the one that I said that the public doesn't, doesn't have actually. And the Discord I think I posted a long time ago, but the general public doesn't have access to it. And on this very old demo, we had a card called Miniature Mancer and it was like the favorite card of everyone because you could use Miniature Mancer to make enemies smaller, but you could cast on yourself constantly, so you would get like a one pixel mate casting a giant fireball. And because of pixel art and pixel perfect and all this stuff, our limitations, yeah. we had to remove that card, but to keep the feeling of a card that transforms something big in something small, we created uh, an effect on the game, a debuff, let's say, that is Hex, and it transforms any anything into a small frog. That runs away. Was it always a pixelated driven game or was there thoughts to kind of try to make it ultra realistic or like animated, like cartoony style or? No, no, it's always, it was, always was pixelated because it's Brazil's speciality. Mm. I mean, people, uh, our team on our, our next project, we're already talking about that. We wanted to do something maybe different. Brazil's speciality is doing pixel art, so. It was kind of a no-brainer. With like the characters you guys are building, well, actually first, what this game is built, is Game Maker or Unity or Godot or what, what guys, what are you guys building it on? Right now the game is on Unity. Okay. The first prototype from HIO that looks nothing like the game right now mm -hmm. is in Game Maker, but we changed it to Unity because of wording reasons. Uh, game Maker has a lot of wording stuff right now, but at the time was kind of hard to get it. and. Yeah. Our colders weren't that familiar to the, to the engine, just them. So we changed it to Unity, but I'm gonna say that everyone in the coding team wants to change to Unreal right now because Unity keeps crashing on them. I've always heard that Unity is one of the... I don't, I'm not sure why, but a lot of developers, they start out in Unity right after Game Maker as opposed to Unreal. And I've heard people say the reasoning is because it's easier to learn Unity. But I've always thought that if you're learning it from scratch, it's probably about the same d level of difficulty. And Unreal just has way more options in terms of like their library and stuff. So it's one of those. Yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of the same difficulty. I, I guess because Unity is the put on quotes, what I'm going to say, but it's the industry standard. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's like the best engine ever. It's not bad. Yeah. And on the late, this, this later versions, I did, it's getting better, but... 
They've been adding a lot of yeah, yeah, to you people should do should work on the engine that it works best for their game, yeah. not just because it's industry standard. Let's talk about the game world itself, right? Is this kind of how is the game world structured? Is it open world, kind of like Metroidvania style, where you can explore anywhere? Is it much more linear? Kind of how did you guys build it? Uh, the best way I can describe the game, Eastern people won't get it very much. It's a mystery dungeon game. Uh, a it? lot of mystery dungeon. Okay, mystery dungeon. There's a there's a Pokemon game of mystery dungeons, but it's actually a very very common type of gaming in Japan, in the, the Western industry. A anyway, the, the world of the game is divided on the town. We call the town Lobby 2 because it's how it works. And from the town, you can go from, to any dungeon and every dungeon has some floors that you can go throughout and find various different enemies. And you can kill the dungeon boss to leave the dungeon or you can leave earlier if you want. Any, you can explore any dungeon at any time, including the final dungeon. So you can leave the tutorial and go to the final dungeon if you want, like Breath of the Wild, I can say. But there is no connected map or, oh, it's completely open world. I mean, it is open world, it can go anywhere, but it, you have section levels. I mean, with that in mind, basically the town in the center is your like hub area. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So can you talk to me a little bit more about that then? Like how does, what can you do in that area? Um, what's available kind of? There is a ton of stuff, but let, let's go. You can get quests from NPCs, you can talk to all NPCs or most of them. There is extra content from the Kickstarter. There is two main games. Uh, one of them fishing, obviously. Every RPG needs fishing. You can get insurance for your cards. You can get some money from some stuff there. Buy new cards, edit your deck. The hub area, the town, is where you do all the deck building part of the game. And where you open boosters, where you you edit your deck, you buy a new you can buy special rooms that are stones that you use on the deck building to change attributes of your deck. Oh, okay. You can get blessings for from some gods to get better drops. I won't going to explain this because we never explained this. That's kind of it. You can explore a lot. It's yeah. very big. There is some waterfalls that are beautiful. It, uh, I I love to get them to explain how he did them because it's a very old style tech art thing where the waterfall doesn't move but it's it's animated yeah with the characters in the game how did you guys animate them into your title did you use like blender zbrush was it something directly within unity what's the it's directly in unity Bresa does the the pixel job on any any software he wants and then he sends us the sprites and then we'll put them in the game and makes the timing right and all this stuff. How much from a development side of things when you're like building this world out what's kind of like the hardest part? Is it the world design? Is it just the overall structure of it? Is it you know the central hub area or is it something much more technical it's kind of hard to say because we worked on a game on separate stuff and on our kickstarter updates we we tend to say oh we are working on this part of the game right now in this part of the game and it's how our flux of work goes so you know overall the overall view is kind of difficult to see yeah. but i think that the hardest part of developing raptor was keeping consistency and trying to make everything tie itself into the game i mean the, the dev team is really talented so it wasn't like a chore mm -hmm. we, we have really created people in there but still it's hard to to make sure that everything 
is inside a box that a player can understand. When you say consistent, you mean like with kind of the art style or do you mean with the story? The art style, the mechanics, the, the way enemies behave, the, the level design of things, everything, everything. With the enemies in the game, how much have you guys really put into that AI? Because I'd have to imagine with a deck builder and with a card-based combat style game, I would feel like your AI, I'm not going to say you, you wouldn't have to put too much into them, but I feel like your AI would be relatively simplistic for a style of combat like that, or is that way off and it's much more in-depth because of the different possibilities with your turn-based combat? I wouldn't say simplistic, mm. but AI does use uh, states yeah. to, to work, like they have uh, oh, okay, in this turn, this enemy will do that because he always do that on this turn. But uh, the action that the AI do on their, their turns are more complex. Okay. Like, there is an enemy that uh, people, when they get the demo, they say, oh, it's very slow. Oh, it's very simplistic. The, the enemies are very simple and things like that, right? And we, we know that. We, we understand that because they are tutorial enemies. They are made to be simple and slow mm -hmm. so people can get the, the hang of the game. But there are enemies like on the final dungeon that it's a gargoyle, it's pretty, I really like that enemy. And it teleports, create, it creates an immunity on itself. It, uh, when it hits the player, it deals damage and the damage removes cards from your deck and put them directly on your graveyard, we call that Mew. Uh, if you ha don't have cards, it gives you a petrified state. There's a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah. So the, the enemies aren't complex in a way like they directly interact with each other, although we try to make the AI seem like it does. But inside of their states, there's much more nuance. Depth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you guys ever consider doing combat outside of turn-based, or was it always structured that way? I think that the turn-based idea came directly with the, the deck building idea so yeah. they are connected we're connected all the time because it's kind of hard to make a, a action game with hard magical cards I and mean, it's not impossible i can see that but it wasn't what you were going for i think with this game it's interesting because even though it is turn-based i think it gives you the perception when you see it. I mean, I have not personally played the demo, but I've seen different footage from this game. And it feels like even if it is a turn-based game, it still feels like there's more action going on than a traditional turn-based style combat where it feels a little bit more flat planed. I think with this game, just the way you guys structured it, it felt a little bit more... It felt like there's a little bit more depth to the gameplay. Kind of walk me through how you guys approached kind of structuring your combat in a way that would keep players engaged uh, there is a lot of things to that it's pretty hard to 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 explain in a couple a couple minutes but we tested a lot we we tried a lot of things right we tried with that first uh thing that i said we tried the old prototype that is on hio right now leading game maker we did the, the demo uh, for the for the Kickstarter and we played the game a lot. Mm. So we eventually got the feeling right or how how things should work exactly. But I think that the the secret ingredient that we use is that everything, even the small, non-powerful things, should feel powerful and important, as the cards aren't like. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna. I don't think the cards doing battle. Battle in this game doesn't matter. It's a card game. I could just put like, oh, spell one, spell two, spell three, would work still. 
you have 60 spells left. If you make the cards powerful and you make them visually unique and create uh, like a storyline of cards, so we have uh, a small fireball, a big fireball that splits in two small fireballs. Mm-hmm. Or oh, we have this card with the that the art is, is a chain reaction of electricity and it explodes, creating a chain reaction of electricity. When you do that, uh, people tend to, to to feel more impacted with their decisions to use them and feel more attached to it. And I think that's the secret that we created a game with more... Not that the combat gets more interesting, but people get more attached to it. Okay. So making those like reactions a little bit more bold and out there, that way people can see them and they kind of can understand what's exactly going on within the game. Yeah, making everything clear, you know, yeah. making everything sort of in itself. Even the cards that uh, have some line uh, of, of family, let's go and say, there's three cards on the game that's like Alpha Rays, Beta Rays, and Gamma Rays, something like that. They do exactly the same thing, they change like damage, but they feel different because the art is different and the impact of the card is different, you know? But you know they are related. Yeah. Did you guys ever have the conversation that with turn-based combat, I think some developers, they steer away from it because they're concerned that it kind of takes away from a player experience, kind of slows down how they progress through the game. So it kind of limits how much they can get immersed in it. And sometimes the devs don't want to touch that because then it kind of takes them out of that and then they don't keep playing. Was that a conversation you guys ever had with like the pacing of this game or happy? A lot. Demo is really, really, really not into turn-based games sometimes, it seems like, because he always is the guy who is like, please let me make the game faster, let's find a way to make the game flow better. And I, I'm, I agree with him, the game can be pretty boring if it doesn't flow, not in a fast way, but in a, a fluid way, you know? And I, I don't think we ever question about it being turn-based, but we question the timing of things. And from the feedback, from the latest demo we released, people were complaining about timing, and we knew that because we just added new stuff. Oh, that was kind of dumb. We added new stuff like a week before the demo, and we didn't test it out. So we are very worried all the time that timing the game is perfect. Because it is pretty boring, you see, if I'm walking two tiles in like 30 seconds. How do you combat that? Like from a structure standpoint, when you're developing a game, do you like try to throw different things in between combat? Do you, I don't know, throw different animations in there? Kind of from like a design perspective, how would you be like, you know, we're going to keep people engaged this way. Like we're going to do this action here and then they're going to be excited before they go into combat. Like what's the... What's the thought process when you're doing that? There's a lot of things. Again, it's kind of hard because Director is a very deep game with very complex systems. But I think that both the idea of, as I said, timing being perfect, the the, the simpler enemies doing faster actions because they are simple, yeah. and showing some enemies that have more complex and interesting interactions. So as the I said, the gargoyle. The, the, does a lot of that stuff that I said mm-hmm. and combining that with the deck building, you know, so there is a combo you can do, for example, how I, how I like to, to explain how Grafter is at the beginning. There's a combo where if you get petrified and uh, the debuff, if you get two debuffs of petrified, you instantly die. 
That's that's the thing. You die. And you can't remove Petrify from your hand. There is no way. You need to exit the dungeon to remove Petrify from your hand. Petrify being the debuff that that Gargoyle gave you. But the thing is, there is a card that you can cast a buff or debuff that you had on your hand. We call it buffs and debuffs effects. So you can cast an effect in your hand on any enemy. You shoot a projectile. So you can actually hold the Petrify in hand because you got screwed a little ago. Get this card later and use Petrify on your enemies to clear the room without taking damage. So I think it's like this web of connected stuff that we create in the game that creates very interesting directions. It has 300 cards, so there's a lot of possibilities of what could happen, like 100 enemies, something like that. Even though they follow some rules and, and you can see that their patterns inside of their dungeons. Creating this complex web of interactions and things you can do with your cards and the enemy's actions and oh I will charm this enemy and he was going to create a trap and now the trap is my ally so the enemy that step on it will take the damage not me and stuff like that you know that sounds like there's a lot of layers to your combat when you're talking yeah, about like yeah that. That, that, that's the point yeah, yeah it's a very complex uh, combat system with a lot of interconnected things and that's kind of our goal, you know, make people try the game and use some cool cards and oh my god, this is really fun and then trying the new stuff with like the 200 stuff that we, cards we have uh, on the game. Are the dungeons, did you guys decide to procedurally generate those? Are those fully laid out already? How did you guys approach that one? We create the individual rooms on hand. I create them, actually. Uh, so if someone doesn't like uh, a specific room, it's my fault. <laughs> but after I created the, the rooms in hand, put the enemies in there and props and all this stuff, mm -hmm. treasure, anything, uh, we have a very robust uh, procedural generated system oh, okay. that creates the, the layout of the floor and all the floors from the dungeon and then we, uh, it randomizes uh, the rooms that are going to be filled on the, the this layout. So like the overall, I guess, like map of the dungeon is the same, but the interior of it changes procedurally. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that we did generate the dungeons more of, to create more content more easily, you know? Yeah. The, uh, we don't, you don't need to create a thousand layouts. Because there is already a thousand layouts of rooms, so it's very hard to... And I'm the only level designer on the team, so it would be very hard for me. So we did the, these procedure-generated layouts to make it easier. Yeah. But I, I, it, it's actually pretty good. We, we took a lot of time to make it, you know? The prototype on GameMaker, it's only it has a completely different generation system. And then the, the first demo from Kickstarter has also a completely different generation system. And after, I don't know, three years of development, we got what we wanted because it's very hard to get procedural, procedural generated stuff right. And it was actually Andre's idea how it should be done. And Conrado was the one to do it. The game world itself, is there like, is there a day and night cycle? Is there weather? Is there seasons? Are there things that are going to like impact the world itself outside of just like those dungeons that are procedurally generated on the interiors or how does that work i don't know if they can call it cycle mm -hmm. we call it cycle inside the developing team as a joke but uh, there is versions of the town that are at night or with different weather based on the dungeon that you visit or how long you spend uh, and it, the dungeons don't change their ambience they have two ambience and that's it 
the, it will be always that ambience. It's because it's on the style in in art direction. Yeah. But on the town, you can get like snowy town. You can get night town, rainy town. It, it's actually very cool. I posted on Twitter some time ago the the town raining because I like it very much. Does But that... yeah, it's not a cycle. It always happens when you come back from one Okay. And it stops when you go to another. Does that impact like gameplay while you're in that town or no? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just style. Okay. So you're in the town you can you interact with these npcs like how does that how does that work within the game there's a ton mm, of okay. npcs some of them give you quests some of them just give you dialogue most of the ones that give you dialogue give some useful stuff mm. uh, i mean there is worth building obviously there is going to be one npc in the tavern asking for more beer but there is still a lot of npcs that give you advice on how to deal with different dangers there is an, an explicit guide we are going to make or anything. Oh, oh, you should do that with that enemy. Mm -hmm. uh, we understand what you should do with that enemy, but the player must discover from themselves. So we might give you some advice to the NPCs. There's also, like I said, a lot of other stuff to, to do. You can insurance your cards so they don't get destroyed when you die. You can play a mini game talking to NPCs. Mm -hmm. There's also the market where you can buy cards. There's uh, the collector. I didn't speak about it. Uh, last time, we, I, I talked about it, but the collector is a guy who can trade your cards for other cards. It's not all the cards from the collection that he trades with you, but you can get some special and rare cards from him. So you and have like the deep card system. Do you guys have like an inventory system or like a crafting system <laughs> in the town or no? Yeah, the inventory system is actually deck building, deck building, because mm -hmm. yeah. you have the, all the cards lay out, laid out to you for you to create your deck. It's not exactly a crafting system. It's more like a TCD system where you trade your cards with him. Can you build like multiple decks at once or can you only have like the one deck and then you're adding and changing? that deck as you play you can do multiple decks at once but you can load them actually so you can save and load all decks but the deck that you are equipped on the moment the deck that you are going to use in the dungeon so if you want to change your deck you will need to open the inventory and load the deck that you want talk to me about that for a second then like how is the decks how are the decks structured how can you change them how do they evolve as the game goes on kind of how does that work there's a lot of stuff to it The deck building part of the game is something that people didn't try out yet because the, the demos didn't uh, expand to that. But there's a lot of depth on the deck building. I, I know that I said that there is a lot of depth on the game, but it's because the game is very complex. Yeah. And even we, uh, even us, uh, we don't find things on the game and we find like years later that mm -hmm. some directions happen and oh my god, this can be done. <laughs> I had I had a friend playing the game some time ago uh, here in my house, and he created a, a deck that I didn't know it was possible. Where he basically had an army of the strongest summons in the game with infinite cards and infinite AP to to play, which was like insane. <laughs> in any case, the the deck system is I, I like it very much because you have, like I said, 300 cards. We have you have some requirements to use cards. You can use any card you, you want in, at any time. So you need to equip rooms, like I said earlier, ar archetype rooms. And so wow, I want to use the green card. Okay, equip the green room. That's the travelers one. Mm -hmm. uh, but also there is clear, clear rooms that we call that are rooms that change base things in a game. So oh, your base HP goes to 15. 
not 10. Now you have one extra AP to start your turn. You can equip two different archetypes, mm -hmm. for example. So there is a lot of nuance where you can find those runes are very expensive. But you don't lose them. So, but there is a, a lot, a lot, a lot of possibilities. You can, uh, the base number of cards is forty, mm -hmm. and you can go up to a hundred. Uh, in the start of the game, you go up to sixty, I guess. And then you, uh, after the game progresses and you kill bosses, you unlock more slots on your deck because the final dungeon will require you to have a lot of cards. So to get cards, you can either collect them, you can trade them, or you can yeah. buy them. Correct. Yeah, you unlock cards on the dungeon by collecting singles, like the card itself, or a booster. You open the booster on the the, the town, and if that if a new card comes to inside the booster, you unlock it on the shop, and you can buy it on the shop always. Mm, okay. And also, some cards can be traded with the collector. Not all of them, but I don't know, thirty trades, something like that. We are planning. When you say buy, how does that work in the game? Are you like, what's the currency system in the game like? There's two currencies in the game. There is shards and gemstones. Mm. Shards are very easy to get, so they get quite expensive to to use. I mean, uh, a rare card costs two thousand and fifteen shards, something like that. Mm. But you can collect shards anywhere. Most of monsters and props drop, drop shards. You drop shards from chests. That's very common. A very common drop. Mm -hmm. But there is gemstones that are very rare to get. A run of the dungeon will give, give you like two to five gemstones, and they can be used to buy cards too. But the the most powerful ones, right? But they are very difficult to get. Bonds, drop them. You get them at the, the final treasure of the dungeon too. When you defeat a boss, there is a final room with a lot of treasure, and there are some gemstones there. You can get killing elite monsters that are special monsters that come later in the game. Mm. So there's some ways to get gemstones, but it's pretty hard to do it. When some people hear like you can use gemstones and the shards to buy different cards, the first thing I think of is the thought would be, would it be pay to play? Because some no, 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 no. Okay, so there won't be like you can buy shards yeah. and stones to. No, there's there's a lot of people that that come ask, oh, there's gemstones. Are you going to buy real money and yeah. stuff? No, the the game isn't made for that. They're not going to put anything outside of like you buy the game. You don't need to pay for anything else. The game is yours, and it's like, just really hard to get it. I've seen some developers with uh, card based games where they'll like make it so you can buy the cards as like nfts and stuff like that is that something you guys have ever considered or we get a lot of offers of nfts but we we don't want to uh, to yeah. do anything with that right now you know but uh, as i said we don't want to 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 put any monetization inside the game outside of buying the game itself yeah or and maybe a dlc with uh, eventually we, we make one you know what about the story in this game? Is it is it a very linear story? You said there's NPCs and there's quests and there's like mini games you can play and like there's a lot of dialogue I'd imagine in a game like this. So kind of how does that story play out? The okay, the start of the game is it's a pretty basic story. Uh, we tend to to say that the game has a lot of old design stuff, old game design stuff in it, and this includes how the narrative goes. Because it's literally a guy was somewhere, he found a forbidden power, you need to stop that forbidden power, go. The NPCs won't necessarily 
progress mm-hmm. your story more like uh, a self experience of yeah. how you evolve the most of NPCs quest we only be so, so players can try new new attacks and understand that there is some game mechanics that it didn't know uh, the game had or literally just challenges for the players to complete you know but there is uh, a main line of quests you don't need to do them and isn't explicit that this is the main line of quests mm-hmm. you need to make even i think there is no starting quest for it you need to do some things and uh, something will happen to an npc and then you get a quest that is the the main line of quests but outside of that there is no mm. there is no like oh you need to do that to complete the game like i said you can go from the tutorial to the final version and complete the game okay it's, it's easy like that too. but the hard part is it's going through all the dungeon. There is multiple endings because of that. And there is like three endings. I don't know if I could say that, though I said it. Well, <laughs> but there's a secret one, uh, a bad one and a neutral one. I guess the secret end could be considered a good one, but it depends from your team mm-hmm. as the game is very personal. With a deck building game, I think sometimes people will just not even include the story at all because it's focused solely on that gameplay. Was that something you guys initially had considered or you wanted to have a story in there for this game? From the start, we wanted to do an RPG. We just didn't admit it. That's the the, the thing. But nowadays, I I think the the story, not even the story like, uh, oh, oh, this is what's going to happen during the gameplay, but the lore was very important from the start of the game because... The idea is that this forbidden power is this new archetype that is a stranger and you can use it, but it's forbidden. So will you do the taboo, you know? I mean, with the story in mind and even with just like the conversation between NPCs and like just the general dialogue in this game or even like your UI and your maps and your your menus and things like that. I think one of the big questions that comes to mind for me nowadays is localization, right? Because it's this like, it's a major part of the indie world right now. And I think it's just that accessibility factor that a lot of devs have to take into account nowadays. So for you guys, I mean, how much did localization come into play here? Was it like a big thought process for you? Is it something you haven't gotten to yet? Kind of how is that working right now for you guys? A lot of things in the game we were preparing from the start so we had a system in place to to make the make the localization since the beginning but we didn't start it yet as i mean kind of as we speak both english and portuguese so the localization for english and portuguese is ma- being made by us mm-hmm. and the japanese one is being made by Dungi, that is our publisher uh, and I think that Dungeon wants to expand localization to other uh, languages, mostly Asian languages, because there's a lot of Chinese and Korean fans of the game. Yeah. You got, I don't remember the name of the site, but there is this Chinese YouTube thing. It's not YouTube, it's Bilibili, something like I that. I know what you're talking about, yep. Uh, we found out that there's a ton of directors gameplay there with a ton of Chinese people talking about the game and we don't have localization for there so hmm, we're awesome. probably going to talk to them to to get something yeah done and but we want to to expand the localization of the game for many languages like yeah, we can it's just that we only confirm those three right now because they are our main focus while releasing the game but i mean the publisher will probably uh, along the, the time do more localizations as the game is pretty rich to expanding a lot of markets. And one thing that comes to mind for me, is Steam available in China? 
I can't think of it right now because your your demo it's on it's not on Steam, is it? It's through your Discord, correct? The demo is actually on Itch.io right now. It was on Steam during Gamescom, but after Gamescom, Steam removed it. Uh, I'm not sure. I think Steam is available in China, but there is like strict rules okay. of what you can do with your game, or they have some some market. I don't yeah. want to, to be to be incorrect and, and say, oh yes, they have Steam. Oh no, they don't have Steam. But I know there is a lot of uh, big games that come out there and they make changes to to suit the the censorship of the market. Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about another game that is in reference right now for a second. Mm. I like Tehare very much. I don't know if you know Tehare. Say it again. Terraria. Teharia. I don't know. Oh, Terrarian. Yeah, okay. Terraria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. In Portuguese, you will read it Teharia. Okay, so, yeah. gotcha. But the... If, I don't know if you know, but they changed a lot of sprite work there mm. because uh, the the game has a lot of gore. Yeah. Let's say I mean it's red pixels, but the Chinese government considered it gore, so they changed yeah. the skeletons. They changed all the the meaty stuff, mm. and it's a pretty different game there, but it's still the same game. So we might need to do some changes mm. depending on how the Chinese government sees drafters, but. Uh, we really want to, to get that market too. I actually just looked it up. It says that global Steam is not available in China. It's banned, but apparently they do have accessibility to a limited library of Steam games, which means, I guess, like you'd mentioned, you probably have to like sit yeah. and for approval. So I don't know. I wouldn't be able to tell you the terms for that, but it, it does look like you can get games over there. So. It's interesting because, I mean, I think the world market is shifting. I mean, I definitely think that the American market is still huge and it's something that a lot of devs focus on. But I think the Asian market is quickly, I would even say like the next five to ten years, taking over as like the biggest market on the planet right now for games, for development. So. But outside of like localization, I mean, the story itself for this game when you're structuring something, especially when it's not like the main focal point of the game itself, and it also has those like three different alternate endings you were talking about, what's the hardest part of like building that? You know, when you're like writing that story out and you're trying to figure out how it progresses and you don't want it to take away from gameplay, how do you approach that? I think it's consistency. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the hardest thing to make things flow with each other and make them feel feel inside their world and create that fantasy for the player. Yeah. I'm not the one who writes the, the game. It's Omnicron that does all the writing. We just uh, help him out like, oh, this quest line should do that, or oh, oh this quest should be it, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, most of things that I see he struggle with is making everything within character, you know, creating character for every NPC, creating interesting text for every card, making things feel unique and inside the world and in character at the same time. Because you have some uh, limitations when you you get yourself uh, a setting like that, you know? Like, oh, it's kind of medieval, but it's a a society that uses cards for magic. Yeah. And how the society society works, how it's related, does it have a history? It has to create a lot of stuff. He has most of those in his mind, and I'm glad he does, because <laughs> he writes some cool stuff. I guess this demo, you've had it out for what? You've had it out for a while, haven't you? In different factors. Yeah, the Kickstarter, yeah, the, the Kickstarter demo 
was out from 2020. And the, the HIO prototype is out from, I don't know, 2018, 2019, something like that. You guys have gotten a bunch of player feedback then at this point. Kind of how's that worked into the game's development? So uh, it depends from when we got the, the feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, a lot of feed- feedback was very useful and there was stuff that we, we discarded, there was stuff that we added based on it. Uh, but I'm going to be honest, nowadays most of, of the feedback is stuff that we already understand that needs to be changed. It's just like a reminder that we need to make this change. Uh, or it's about stuff like, like that the demo is lacking. But the overall game already has that feature. Mm, okay. So I don't know. There is people uh, a, a very small feedback. There is a lot of people that say, "Oh, the speed up from the game is completely useless because it doesn't speed it at all." Mm. And we know that we made it that way because there is a dungeon with lava floors, and you can step on them if you're speeding up and not being careful. And we made the speed kind of perfect for you to react in time and not step on the lava. But you will be able to, to change that speed on the menu. And okay. you're going to be warned that it can change gameplay. You can take, because I mean, if you take damage, you can die. Yeah. And you can die because the game gives you a tool to speed up itself. It's kind of dumb. So we warn the players, like, be careful. Yeah. Really quick, yeah. when you die in this game, it has dungeons. So technically, you could talk about it like it's a roguelite, I guess. Um, so, like, with that, I know in some roguelike games, when your character dies, they drop all their inventory, they go back to, you know, their hub, and then they have to go get that. You know, they don't have anything. Or some, I guess, every game is different. So, kind of, how did you guys approach that? So, our approach is that when you die, you lose all the cards you have on your deck mm-hmm. and all the, the loot that you got on your run. Uh, everything that was in town already, you won't lose. Okay. So if you got loot from, I don't know, last dungeon and you die on, on another dungeon, the loot from the last dungeon will still be on town side. You can get insurance on your cards, although it's very expensive and they don't go away and it's for single cards. Mm-hmm. But the idea is more of if you failed, it's probably because your deck wasn't suited for that dungeon and you should change it. And we have a lot of discussion if this is a me- good mechanic for the game. Demo doesn't like it, but uh, all the team insists in keeping it because it makes the player think about the deck building, you know, makes yeah. them create different decks and, okay, I died. How, why I died and how can I change the my deck to fit this version better? Other than, oh, I died, low, I'm going to go again with the same deck. That, mm. It happens almost all the time when people have, don't have the... the the death penalty on all our games. When you say they lose everything, can they go get it again or it's just gone? <laughs> no, it's gone. Okay. You lost. But but as the cards were in your deck, they were unlocked. So you can buy them again on the, the shop. Ah. You can buy your deck your whole deck whole deck again if you want. So with that, I think, you know, I'm I'm thinking back on all the questions that we've talked about with this game. Is there anything before we kind of segue into the last two that you kind of want to touch on from like the cards and the deck building to the game world to, you know, the overall design and development? Like, is there anything we missed that you feel like we really need to like hit on here? I don't think so. I think we hit all the boxes. The game itself, it's better experience than we listen about, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think with a deck or with a deck building game, it's a, I don't know, it's a very unique 
part of indie indie gaming and indie platformers because I don't think it's something that I'm not going to say it's rare, but I don't think it's something you see as much as like the other platformers and top-down games out there. Like in the indie world, I think there are deck builders, but I think it's something that is not as common as the other genres out there for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, there's, there's also a few deck builders that I think a lot of people mistake drafters from that drafters is not Slate Spire, you know? Mm-hmm. That Blade Spire is a deck building game that you build your deck do during your run and you want to make it an optimal deck. Most of the time, the less useless cards you have, the better the, your deck is. Mm-hmm. While in Drafters, you want your deck to be bunky enough to keep you on fighting on the dungeon until the end. So there is kind of this difference where you don't get a free reshuffle that people don't seem to get that make the game quite different mechanically and there's even feedback of people saying why don't i don't reshuffle when i lose all my cards and blah, 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 blah. but the point is that you know you need to create a deck that is not only powerful but consistent throughout the dungeon is it hard when you're creating a deck builder because i'd imagine people who come into a card game or a deck building game rather I feel like they have a certain expectation, right? Because I think there aren't as many titles out there. They're going to be like, why isn't it like, you know, you'd mentioned Hearthstone. Why isn't it like, I don't know, what's another one? Yeah, Magic the Gathering. Like, you know, there are people that they like deck building. They like card games, but they like this specific card game. So they're going to reference it to that. Is that like a challenge for you guys when you're trying to like siphon through feedback or no? I don't think so. There are many people that like CGs that talk about our game. Most of them like them, I guess. We don't get feedback from people like, oh, your song is like that via your game art. Mm-hmm. It's more like people who like the Slate Spire and other deck builders that are more flexible with the deck building part. You want to make people feel belonged on the community, right? So every feedback is important. And even if it, it is a dumb feedback, not that <laughs> ever, not putting words on my mouth yeah. right here that I ever read, read uh, a dumb feedback. But even if it is a dumb feedback, mm-hmm. it means that the person cares about the game, you know? Yeah. And you must take in consideration at least why that feedback exists, why that person is feeling like that about the game, mm-hmm. and try to create an environment that tries to avoid uh, people like-minded to to feel that way too i guess that's a good point because you were you said you were one of the social media managers for yeah yeah, a while but yeah so like you were on the front lines of like hearing everybody's opinions and kind of fielding all those takes and all that so if anybody would know it it would be you with this title wouldn't it yeah uh me and Demo work more on, on this field. Uh, I tend to, to answer more people because I'm more people. Uh, I'm I'm not the most people person mm. in the group. I think Demo is, although I think he doesn't agree. He thinks it's me. <laughs> but we both tend to handle the, the community stuff. As the other devs just like prefer to, to keep on their own ourselves, you know. We have a joke that Hodunku can't speak if he speaks on the... the, the the server or anywhere, we are going to be cancelled because he is very angry all the time and <laughs> very rude. We try our best to 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 be to be gentle, you know, yeah, to be yeah. to embrace everyone. Yep. Do you guys like lean into a lot of jams and like different? I don't know what's what was the event that just happened in um 
UK Gamescon. It wasn't, it was a smaller version of Gamescon, but you guys lean into like a lot of those where you like try to go to those different events and get people to play test and stuff or no? Yeah, right now we don't go because it's very expensive yeah. and we don't have that kind of money right now. But Dungy, our publisher, takes our games there. Mm-hmm. So we ha- we had our game on a festival here in Brazil and there was Gamescom. Uh, we could go because it's very expensive from our perspective. I mean, yeah. like the thing is, uh, we want to go on these events and, and talk to people. We just don't have the opportunity right now. But probably when the game releases, we are going to talk to them to, to get someone to go to, to the events. Or at least we go for ourselves. It's just that right now we don't have the funds to do it. It's interesting because, like, I feel like that's one of the reasons that E three didn't happen last year. You know, it wasn't COVID last year. They just didn't do it. I think it was more funding than anything. And it's just probably E three. Sorry, I was just gonna say events have gotten so expensive. Like being able to get to those events just as a developer, or even as just a as a casual gamer who wants to see what's there i mean they've raised their prices so much i feel like it really kind of damages them ultimately and it kind of hinders what they can push out yeah and it's really i think it's kind of a special case because it wasn't doing much for the industry anymore i mean you they were announcing new games but uh, i can't remember uh impactful impactful E3 reveal since I don't know Final Fantasy 7 remake, you know? <laughs> you have a good point. Do you guys have a release window right now? Like a soft release window or no? Or kind of what's what's your year? Yeah, part? we do actually. Do okay. People tend to, to not see the press kit from, from the game. And I think it's kind of funny because there is a lot of info there. Including that we pretend to release the game next year, early next year. We don't have like a specific thing. We want to to get everything done, you know, uh, localization. We want to to get our platform ready. We want to to have a, a strong marketing force. So so we are going to finish the game this year. I mean, two three months, everything will be done. Mm-hmm. But we want to get this gap to to hype up the game, yeah. to to maybe get a new demo out with tons of stuff. We want to participate in Sync Fest. We don't know when it's going to happen exactly. I mean, I can't say anything outside that, but we are probably going to, to do something like that, some big event to, to help hype up the game. Mm. And after that, we are going to release it. I, we don't have a specific time, as I said, but early to 2023. After that release, do you guys have DLC planned? Do you want to start rolling out, or are you just kind of focusing on that release right now? You don't know what's in store afterwards. We're focusing on the release. We were talking to Bunny some time ago, and they said that if we finish the game before the time that we planned, they might pay a DLC or still to create a DLC. But mm-hmm. we decided to finish the game with some extra time because there's a lot of stuff we need, we need to be done. I don't know if we are going to, to make it this year or not. There is nothing confirmed yet. There is a, an idea to do, but uh, I'm not sure if you know, we are going to right now. Uh, everyone is kind of tired to work on the game. You know, like yeah. five years is a lot of stuff. It's a lot of time. I think people might just want to move on a little and <laughs> maybe come back later. Because you guys are already talking about something new, so you're ready to go, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the game is after is a pretty fun game and we all agree that if it sells well we won't even ask about making a DLC because people will want it yeah because it's a card game and obviously more cards in it will be more fun Mm. but it's nothing confirmed yet 
you mentioned you have a publisher and obviously yeah, like the details surrounding that it's not something we can dive into too much but when did you guys get your publisher and what kind of drove you to that decision to get one a long time ago we, we wanted to get a publisher and we talked about that uh, more or less on the kickstarter yeah i, I have some nda that i can't talk much about it mm-hmm. uh, but eventually we, we got uh, a deal with Dungeon and we kept it low for uh, some time but when it came to to do the steam review we decided to review that we we were working with them and they are pretty nice people you know they they help us a lot and they they answer quickly we had a problem with gamescom and they they answered me as soon as possible if they have like a, a discord server thing for devs mm-hmm. and they are pretty cool guys you know they they help us a lot you know that's that's good because i know sometimes with developers they can struggle to find a solid a solid publisher to help them with their yeah games. i'm not gonna lie when we were searching for a publisher it was pretty hard and dunging was wasn't exactly an option we met and uh, then one of the, the i think he's senior right now i'm not sure i, thought, I really don't know how the hierarchy works mm. but we found then that it's a, a higher guy on dunging and and them when Bressa eat feijoada with him, that is a, a typical dish here in Brazil, made of, of beans and a lot of, uh, of uh, pork meat. Okay. And Ben loved it and they became like best friends and eventually they, we got a deal because of that. But we talked with Pro Fury, we talked about with, I don't know, uh, I don't remember the others, 11 Beats, I think. Okay. There, there was a lot of publishers and most of them liked the game, but none uh, send emails first afterwards or even respond us man that's maybe for the best because i mean there's a lot of yeah, yeah. and then there's you know there's a lot of publishers if you know if you know what i mean yeah i know it's just it's a very gray area i think of development there's a lot of layers to that so it's good that like you have a personal relationship kind of with your publisher because i think that enhances mm-hmm. that experience for you for sure with that though so the last question there's a lot of layers to this one. I think the inner pessimist in me always tries to find a negative in things. And I think the gaming industry, it's massive. So obviously, you know, there's a lot of great parts of it. There's a lot of great areas. It's gotten, you know, a lot of attention over the last few years. I think there's a lot of topics where like there's not... I don't think they're good or bad. I think there's a lot of nuance to them, you know, with AAA changing over the last few years, acquisitions like Microsoft and PlayStation eating up all these developers. We talked about publishers. There's a lot of shades of gray in that area. I mean, there's funding, there's, you know, market oversaturation. Like there's a lot of different things that people can key in on as like good or bad areas within the industry. So for you specifically, for your guys' team, What's something that you would kind of key in on as a more, I'm not going to say negative aspect, but something that could use some improvement within the industry? Kind of what would you key in on? That's a pretty hard question. I literally, on my doc- document where you send the questions, mm. I wrote on the, the, the one of my notes was hard question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because there's a lot of nuance, a lot of things that I can touch, right? like mm. better payment, better work conditions all the the blizzard stuff there's like a ton of, of things that must must be talking must be worked on mm-hmm. but i guess one of the most important things i i can say 
not not blaming the victim here uh, I, uh, the problem is the system mm-hmm. but i guess that a lot of people go into game dev with this uh dreamy like idea of it like mm-hmm. oh my god this is the most perfect job in the world <laughs> i will have so much fun it, uh, i will be rich i will be famous this indie dream right yeah and i think that when it comes down to it a lot of people get disappointed or or accept lower conditions from that for them to to get to work on the games industry just because they like games and that shouldn't be how it works you you liking games doesn't mean you're going to like making games and making games isn't the dream job that a lot of people think it is mm-hmm. it's cool uh, i have a lot of luck with my team you have a lot of fun together uh, even with like sometimes we fight inside out to to make the game the way we want but there's a lot of dark stuff out there you know there's a lot of, of fighting and there's a lot of booming and people don't get paid well people get burned out and i think most of it is because they want to belong to the industry mm-hmm. to the point that they don't value their work and themselves you know yeah and not you're not blaming the victim here I, i'm not saying oh it's the fault of the devs not the system it's of course the fault of the system but if the devs don't work to change it it won't be done it is interesting because like developers will just hit up studios and be like i'll help you with your project you don't even have to pay me you know like and you're right yeah like, we get we get we our team gets a lot of offers from even uh, mostly the uh, localization people mm-hmm. saying like oh i will translate our game to spanish for free yeah. you know and and why though why will you just worry we are going to pay someone to do that why are you offering free job just because you want to be in a game credit. I know yeah. it's pretty hard, yeah, but we, you know, people need to value their jobs more. Yeah, it's interesting because you are right. I mean, some people, they just want to get it on their portfolio or their portfolio. I, I don't know why I said it that way, but they want to get it on their portfolios. But I think like ultimately, I don't know. I feel like all, it almost takes away from it because if you're offering to localize a game like i don't know maybe looking at it from like a paying to non-paying structure point you would be like well maybe the person who's giving it to me for a, a price is better at it i guess you would say like you look at it from that angle i don't know like there's a business approach yeah that's, there is that angle of approach that uh, a lot of devs have like yeah. oh, this person offered me for free they why? maybe don't have any experience exactly yeah why why yeah, yeah. And again, not blaming the victim, because having a good portfolio is important to enter the games industry. But uh, there's a lot of ways you can you can enter it without doing free work, you know? Yeah. And like, uh, a lot of people want to enter game design. I know a lot of people that want to enter game design. The game design is a very cool area, right? And there's a lot of, of possibilities work inside of it. But they don't know how, because it's hard to, to have a game design portfolio. How I, I'm going to say that I did what in the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, in drafters, I say, oh, I did the levels. I created most cards, okay, but physically, you can't get the physical stuff, you know? It's all abstract. Yeah. And then people can't do a good portfolio, and then they can't get a job, uh, a rightful job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have, like, I did game development in my university. Mm-hmm. The study, okay, and all the teacher said, enter the games industry, any other area if you want game design, 
Mm-hmm. And that's true. I have a lot of friends that entered the game industry being QA testers. And now they are game designers in I don't know, EA. You know? Yeah, so uh, uh, I think people go with this dreamy life concept that the games industry is perfect and people will hire them and you just need to get a better portfolio that it will be easy to get a job. And no, you need to value your work. You need to find people that are willing to work with you and you need to, to create a better work environment where you work at, you know? Yeah. Or things won't get better. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think with games, I think there's more opportunity in the industry than ever right now because it's just such a big market. But at the same time, like you'd mentioned, I think there's more people being taken advantage of because of that just at this moment. I don't know. I don't honestly. And and again, this is the inner pessimist in me, but I don't see that getting better anytime soon. I think it would almost get worse before it got better because you do hear like, you know, larger titles will talk about, you know, bad work conditions like Activision Mm -hmm. and uh, Blizzard had like that whole lawsuit because of it. But I don't know. I just think when the indie market, it's just I don't think the indie market has that level of like nuanced attention where people really I think you can just get away with more in it. And I think ultimately that kind of creates an environment where if the developer isn't going to value themselves, then the team that they're trying to get into or, you know, work for ultimately may take advantage of them. And and that's not, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you can't really blame either party for that, I guess. I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of, that's an area of gray, right? Like you can't pin yeah, blame on anybody there. Added. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to to judge both parties, right? Yeah. It's very hard to judge. Again, not blaming the victim, the system is the problem. Yeah. But, and you are right, I think it will take a long time to change anything in the games industry. Uh, I don't think it necessarily is going to get worse, because there's a lot of change coming right now. There's a, a lot of journalists that are working on on showcasing this dark side of the games industry, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the channel's name, but there was a channel that talked a lot about indie superstars, and they also made a, a Roblox video, yeah. talking bad about Roblox, it's very interesting. And there's a lot of, of people like that, that want the game industry to change, and are moving forward for it. But I don't think in the next, I don't know, 10 years, everything's going to be fine, you know? No, the industry takes a long time to change. That's just ultimately how yep. it is, especially with how big it is right now. So. Yeah.